ओम so here we see that in the verse we read today krishna krishna ti te sarve sarve means all the inhabitants of vrindavan and the acharyas also comment that that this also includes the animals they also were looking to krishna for shelter so even the cows and the calves who they of the same jati the same species as uh, apparently as arishta but they could recognize that this bull he's not come to be one of us but he's come to destroy us although the acharyas also described that maybe not in this yuga but in uh, on another planet or in another time that krishna is krishna's persons they're not always exactly the same every time So one time Keshi Asura instead of killing him Krishna took some of the gopis and went on a ride took him for riding as a pleasure horse around Vrindavan and it's described that when Lord Shiva saw Arishta he became afraid and he hid Nandi away to protect him so after so Krishna put a a ring through Arishta's nose and controlled him like this and then he took gave him to Lord Shiva here you can take him another time he used after putting the ring in the nose by which the bull is controlled then another time krishna he kept him as a bull for pulling carts and doing other menial services in vrindavan he came to kill krishna but he had to take the humble position very fortunate this particular yoga this arishta he was formerly a in a previous life is described in garga sanhita that he was a disciple of brihaspati but one time he was sitting with his legs outstretched facing brihaspati so brihaspati cursed him he said you're sitting like a bull become a bull I don't know how bulls sit I didn't ever see them sitting like that but that's how it's described So he he had to become a bull and he was born in East Bengal in Banga and due to association with other demoniac bulls he became a demon he got killed by Krishna Dr. Nathako has analyzed the demons killed by Krishna and Balaram in his Chaitanya Shikshamrita he has analyzed that these various demons they represent various anarthas or unwanted qualities of the devotees which obstruct them from becoming Krishna conscious obstruct them obstruct us these demon like desires for material enjoyment 
they kill our Krishna consciousness. We cannot be Krishna conscious if we have demoniac desires within our hearts. Kam, krodh, love, moha, madadi, abhishta, eshab, nechare, kise, pabe, radha, krishna. Bhakti Nautaka also sings. That as long as we are absorbed in these bad qualities, lust, greed, anger, envy, illusion, and so on, then he gives a rhetorical question. If we, as long as we don't give these up, as long as we don't discard them, then how can we attain to Radha and Krishna? But the demons are very powerful. The Rajavasis, they're calling out to Krishna. Krishna, Krishna, please give us your shelter. They didn't feel powerful, and even though they're all coward men and girls and boys, Gopijanavallava, Krishna is called Gopijanavallava. So Gopijan means the gopis and the gopas. It includes. So they're accustomed to handling cows and bulls. You'll see that uh, with any big dangerous animal, everyone will be afraid of just like the big elephant. Who can, can But the mahout, he's not afraid. <laughs> Slaps him, chastises him. He's not afraid. Of course, sometimes the elephant kills the mahout also. But he's under the more or less he's under the control. Oh, same way that if we if some cows are there. Some bulls especially, we may be afraid, but those who are experienced in handling them, they're not afraid. They know how to handle. But this bull, they're very afraid. He's wild. Just like the mahout may be there, but if the elephant goes mad, mad elephant, no one can control. You have to shoot him, that's all. There's no other way. That's also not such an easy thing to do. Dangerous to try to shoot a mad elephant. <laughs> so only Krishna could control and destroy such demons. So similarly, the demons of lust, greed, anger, and so on, they may be very difficult for us to control, but Krishna can do so. Therefore, Bhaktivinoda has analyzed these pastimes of Krishna, comparing the different demons to different demon-like desires within our hearts that can be vanquished by Krishna. Arishta, he represents cheating religion. He came as a bull, which is the symbol of religion. But his aim was not to uphold the pious religious activities, but his aim was to be exactly the opposite of all religion, which was to kill Krishna. Krishna killed him. He wanted to kill Krishna. So in the same way, there are many cheating so-called gurus and swamis who represent themselves as being religious. But actually, their aim is to kill Krishna. They'll say that no such person as Krishna ever existed, or God is dead, or we are all God. So in various 
roundabout ways, even though they present themselves as religious persons, they're actually all demons. So the influence of such a cheating process, if we become victimized by that, then we have to pray to Krishna that Krishna, Krishnaiti te sarve govindam sharana, then sharanam yayahu. They went to Krishna, Govinda, for protection. He had said Gokula and Govinda. So the protector of Gokul is and Govinda. They went to him for shelter. So apart from uh, cheating religion, there are the Dharma, Paradharma, there are five kinds of cheating religion. Chala Dharma, they're mentioned in Bhagavatam. But there is also one of the standard defects of the conditioned soul is the cheating propensity. Brahm Pramad, Vipralipsa, Karanapatam, Aya Vigya Vake Nahidoshesham. So Brahm means to make mistakes, Pramad to be illusioned, Vipralipsa, cheating propensity, and Karavapatav means imperfect senses. So those who are perfect, by definition, they are free from such defects. But everyone in this material world, the vast majority, are not perfect. So even though we have taken up the path of Krishna Bhakti, we still have these bad propensities. The cheating propensity that may also manifest that someone likes to represent himself as more advanced than he actually is. He becomes more interested in making a show of devotion than actually being devoted. It's very dangerous. So it may be very difficult to become free from all these bad propensities that the conditioned soul likes to be praised. He likes that others will praise him. So if someone sincerely takes to devotional service, you will find that people start to praise him. He's sincerely trying to serve Krishna. People start to praise him. But that praise, it can act just like an intoxicant. Very dangerous intoxicant. Intoxicant means what? It Intoxicant literally means it is toxic, it's poisonous. And it influences the mind. Why do people take intoxicants? Just like alcohol, bang, or in the Western countries, I'm probably here also, I'm not up on the drug scene that much, but they have some drug called ecstasy. It's commonly used. It's a form of cocaine that goes, it's, I'm not sure exactly, but anyway, it's quite popular. So why do people take these drugs, even though it's poisonous to the system, but it gives an immediate euphoric sense, a different effects. With alcohol, you may, they say, I'll drown my problems. That means you drink, 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 and then you forget everything. 
But there's also a side effect. With alcohol, you wake up in the morning, next morning, with a big headache. But with this ecstasy, it, in some cases, people later die. I was reading in the newspaper last time I was in England, especially young girls, 15, 16 years old, the, the risk of death from that is more high for them. So they all have some side effect. And another effect is that they are addicted. They are chemically addictive means that when you start to take the drug, after some time, one feels a sense of dependence. There are two kinds. One is psychological dependence and another is chemical addiction. Psychological dependence means just like people say, I need a cigarette to, cool, to calm my nerves because nicotine has such an effect of calming the nerves. But then when you become addicted, that you can only be calm if you take a cigarette and if you don't take it, even if there's no reason for the nerves to be agitated, then you have to take it. And sometimes I, I've seen people that they're like lighting a cigarette and they're literally trembling like this. And then and then they are oh, and they then they become calm. So the psychological and chemical dependent. Chemical dependence means that just like that, if you don't take it then there's something missing in your makeup by which you become, for instance, nervous like that. So this, uh, just like that, this desire for praise, even if one is sincerely executing Krishna consciousness, if he desires to be praised, if that arises in his heart, it can become like an intoxicant because it gives a euphoric feeling. Oh, People are praising me. And you feel wonderful. Oh, how nice. But actually, it's not beneficial. It feels just like you may feel if you take alcohol or whatever the drug may be, intoxicant, you may feel that it is, it's very nice and it's benefiting me. But actually it's not benefiting us at all. It just, it gives a euphoric feeling which is our enemy. Because if you become a drunkard or a heroin addict or whatever, then your whole life is spoiled. So in the same way that euphoric feeling that, oh, I'm being praised, is actually our enemy because it's, it blocks our Krishna consciousness. And it, it gives a bad effect that we, we start to act in such a, we do all the right things in Krishna consciousness. We may be hardworking, apparently humble. We may be making a show of being humble. Not that we're actually humble, but we think that if we act like this, then others will praise, oh, how humble. We may be austere, strict in our sadhana. We may apparently be demonstrating so many qualities, but actually we're not doing it purely for the sake of satisfying Krishna, but we're desiring that others will praise me. We become addicted and we, we, we take it as normal. So it's very dangerous. 
And then sometimes people may be surprised. They see someone, oh, he was practicing Krishna consciousness very nicely. And then he went away all of a sudden. It's not all of a sudden. The heart has been eaten by worms for many years. And that contamination builds up until it manifests as scorn for the devotees, for instance. Because if one desires praise, that means he's thinking that I am better than others and others they should praise me. So his whole mentality becomes polluted. And then that pride comes up by which he becomes offensive. So it's all, a, it's a self, it's a propensity of self-cheating and cheating others, making a show of being a devotee. It's very good. Vishwanath Chakravar Thakur comments in his Madhurya Kadambani that this desire for honor, it's very difficult to overcome. It's relatively easy. Relatively easy. It's also not easy, but it's relatively easy to overcome the basic stumbling blocks on the path of devotion, which are kanak and kamini, attraction to wealth and attraction to female, enjoyment of females. So those are relatively easy to overcome. But there's another ka, kirti, fame, desire to be honored. It's very difficult to overcome. So what can we do? We should call out Krishna, Krishna, the inhabitants of Krishna. We, are, we only have the shelter of Krishna. This, here it said, Govindam Sharanam Yuyam. They went to take shelter of Govinda. So this whole process or mood of Sharanagati has been very nicely explained by Thakur Bhaktivinoda in his collection of songs called Sharanagati, which every devotee who wants to be a Sharanagat devotee or who wants to surrender to Krishna should read these songs. They're very, very valuable. And he's written other songs. There's a collection of songs, Sharanagati. He's also written many other songs, just like it's uh, in that uh, Gitavali, Gitamala. So I believe that's in Gitavali, the song Gopinath comes, where it's a, it's simply a prayer in which Bhaktivinoda Thakur is calling out, Krishna, Krishna. It's an expansion on this. Krishna, Krishna, please save me. That uh, I have no recourse but you. I, I, I'm simply fallen into lust. I have no, what to do. Lift me up. Don't neglect me. So many demons attain to you. So what about me? Why don't you save me also? I'm, I'm trying to be surrendered to you. You please save me. I'm, not, I, I'm overcome by lust. I, but I, I can't find my way out. You have to save me. So this mood of complete dependence upon Krishna. I have no hope but Krishna. The Vajavasi is exemplified this. They didn't discuss among themselves what to do, how to overcome the Arishta demon by what shall we do? Sarabheda, Dana, Danda. There are different ways to overcome enemies. You can try to pacify them. You can try divide and rule politics. You can offer them a post. Hey, Arishta Shura, would you like to be king of Vrindavan? Or Danda, they didn't think, let's all get together and attack him. Between us, we should know. They didn't consider such 
possibility, simply, Krishna, Krishna, they called out to Krishna. We have no hope but you. Personally, what can we do? We, even if we could, even if we could subdue this demon by ourselves, we don't even want that process. We want only to take shelter of Krishna. So similarly, so many different things may be recommended. Follow the path of karma, jnana, yoga. And even within bhakti there is vivek, analysis, discrimination. We can analyze what is the difference between matter and spirit. This is important also. But ultimately this process is subordinated to the process simply taking shelter of Krishna. That's why even though study of Shastra so we can distinguish between matter and spirit the pro in the process of Sankhya, that is recommended for devotees. It's important. But even if someone is completely uneducated, just like Prabhupada often said, the Vajvasis, the Gopis, they weren't learned Vedantists. But even if someone is completely uneducated, even if he can't write his own name, he can be a pure devotee of Krishna if he simply adopts this attitude of fully taking shelter of Krishna. So these other processes, they have their usefulness, no doubt. <coughs> Following Brahmacharya strictly, endeavoring to control the mind and senses. But ultimately, these processes cannot help us in the same way as taking shelter of Krishna and his devotees. Hmm? Then what's the next line? Rahugana Maharaj asked Jarabharat that how is it that you've become so spiritually advanced? You're such a great jnani. You're speaking of the difference between the mind and the soul. How did you attain such a position? So he told that my dear King Rahugana such a condition, such a position cannot be attained by simply by tapasya. <coughs> nor by reciting the Vedic hymns, nor by taking bath in holy places, nor by performing even such severe austerities as surrounding yourself by panchagni, four fires plus one, the sun beating down on top, nor by following the rules and regulations of the Varnashram system. So all these things, they may have their usefulness, but the perfect condition of spiritual life cannot unless one is prepared to take this kind of bath, to smear his whole body with the dust of the lotus feet of great devotees, then it is not possible to come to the pure position of Krishna consciousness. Prahlad Maharaj said similarly. Was it Prahlad? There's another verse in Bhagavatam similar to that. What is that? Yes, what is that verse? Prahlad Maharaj says, very similar verse. That you, can, you cannot become Krishna conscious right, by so many different methods. Only by the grace of the devotees. 
I'm not remembering just now. Anyway, they both have the same basic purport that our ultimate process is simply to take shelter of Krishna. Other processes may help as we are going along the path, but the ultimate standard is, or the ultimate, is to take shelter of Krishna. And if we don't take shelter of Krishna, we may be an expert yogi, jnani, tapasvi, whatever it may be. But we cannot get Krishna's mercy. Krishna's mercy is poured on the devotees who take shelter of him. So these demons, they're also assisting Krishna's leela. Because if they didn't come, then the Vajvasis, they wouldn't have so much opportunity to express their full surrender and taking shelter of Krishna. They also have their role to play. Demons are demons, means they're rascals. Asattama, Krishna describes, you rascal. <laughs> Rishabhasura, demon in the form of a bull. Maybe in the form of a bull, but a demon nevertheless. Nevertheless, uh, Krishna, he, by the power of his Leela Shakti, in which, in Krishna's Leela, there are so many, in Krishna's Leela, there are so many wonderful expressions of Krishna's unlimitedly wonderful qualities. So in Krishna's Leela, his enjoyment is there. That is the predominating current within Krishna's Leela that is all meant for his enjoyment. But Krishna, he manifests within his pastimes, he also manifests his mercy. That these demons, they're coming to attack. They're demons. They should be killed. They want to, they want to uh, kill my, my uh, beloved Rajvasis. But he also shows them mercy because they did some service also, indirectly. So Krishna kills them and he gives them liberation. So even the demons, they do some service. If, if these demons didn't come to Vrindavan, then how Krishna's wonderful, these wonderful pastimes would take place. They wouldn't take place. Similarly, this uh, preaching of Mayavad is demoniac. Everything is one. God has no form. Or there is no God. There are different varieties of Mayavad. But if that had not been spoken, then the Vaishnava Acharyas would have not had such a clear platform on which to defeat Mayavad in their writings and preachings and to establish clearly that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So they all, even though they have the same attitude as the demons like Keshi, Arishta, Vyomasura, Palambasura, who was killed by Balaram, even though they have a demoniac attitude, Mayavadis, they want to say that God has no 
form, qualities, pastimes, you know, and then he doesn't exist. They want to kill him. But they also indirectly are performing some service. Everything, Krishna, everything that comes in contact with Krishna, Krishna takes the dirt and purifies. Just like Putana came to Krishna with the intention of killing Krishna. But how, she, how did she get the opportunity to have Krishna suck her breast? Not everyone can do that. Because at one point in a previous life, she was the sister of Bali Maharaj, who was the king of the demons, Daityaraj Bali. So he himself had been, he, had, he was in the mood of a devotee, but he was surrounded all his family members and all, they were all demons with demoniac attitude. But even the demons, they may exhibit some signs, just like Hiranyakashipu showed some affection to Prahlad, he took him on his lap. But then when Prahlad started speaking about Vishnu Bhakti, he wanted to kill him. But there was some affection. Because he was thinking, he'll be a, my, my darling son will be a great demon like me. How wonderful. My own son. So in the same way, this Ratnamala, she was the sister of Dali Maharaj. And when she first saw Vamandev, she thought, oh, what a beautiful young boy. Who is that fortunate mother who could suckle him at her breast? I would also like to have the opportunity. Then later, Dev cheated Ali Maharaj, and then she was she changed her attitude. She thought, oh, as a typical demon, she exhibited her inimical spirit towards Vishnu. But because she had that idea, that <coughs> at one point in time she had the idea that I would like to suckle at my breast this beautiful boy, she had some feeling of motherly affection. So she was able to do so, but because she was basically a demon, she did in a different way, with the idea of suckling him at her breast to kill him. So when Krishna, he killed her, he sucked out her life airs. In other words, he killed her. But by killing her, he destroyed all her sins. And then, what is left, Krishna remembered that, oh, she had a desire to be my mother. So she got the position, Dhatriyuchitam, she got the position which, which was suitable for a, a, a mother means a, a Dhatri means a, a nursing mother, means uh, not exactly Who is that? Vidur or Uddhava said, Kim who could be more merciful than Krishna? That even this Bhakti, the sister of Bhakasura, namely Putana, came to kill Krishna. But he gave her the position of mother. How merciful. Who could be more merciful than Krishna? So these pastimes of Krishna, they may appear to be just like some stories, but the depth that is the, the Acharyas they have, by their analyses they have brought out what is the depth of these wonderful pastimes of Krishna. Hare Krishna, is there any question about this?
devotee wants only to be praised and not to accept criticism becomes angry when an attempt is made to point out his mistakes, etc. How to help these types of devotees who do not want to listen to good, want to listen to good advice, but only wants praise and honor? It may be very difficult. First of all, we have to be sure that we've made a correct analysis and that we are in a proper position to advise ourselves before we take the position of the Acharya. That is actually the position of an especially the Acharya, to correct his disciples. One letter Bhaktisiddhan Sarasari Thakur wrote to one of his disciples, he said that uh, having accepted the position as guru, it is my duty to find out and point out the faults in others. But I do not know why you would want to accept such an inauspicious task. In other words, someone was writing to him, praise, uh, blaming someone, but he wrote back in such a spirit. But what can we do if someone wasn't, doesn't want to listen to good advice? Then it's between them and their guru and Krishna. What to do? Pray to Krishna. Sabko Sammati De Bhagavan. I may have said that. Yeah. Not when was that? Just in this last few days? You were saying? God is formless. I may have said that because God is formless because he is all in all, he is everything. But we don't, as Vaishnavas, we don't stress on the formlessness of God, which is also one of the features of God. But because he is complete, Purnam Adaha Purnamidam Purnat Purnamuchate Purnat Purnamudachate, sorry. He is complete. So, as he is complete, he is both formless and formful. Both are there. If he was only formless and didn't have form, then he would be in, there would be something missing in him. So, God is formless. Maya tatamiram sarvam jagat avyakta murtina. He has his avyakta murti or unmanifest form. It's almost like an oxymoron or a contradictory term. But the Original form of the Absolute Truth is Ishvara Parama Krishna Satyadananda Vigraha. The Supreme Control is Krishna has an unlimited form of knowledge, eternity and bliss. So the Absolute Truth is very interesting. If you read the Bhagavatam, the first words of Prabhupada's introduction there, it's just so brilliant. In Prabhupada he writes that the concept of God and the concept of the Absolute Truth are not on the same level. So you're talking about God being formless. Generally the absolute truth, param satya, is conceived of as being formless. Generally means among people in general. And God or Ishvara is conceived of by such impersonalists, those who take the 
impersonal feature of the absolute truth to be predominating or uh, the, the, uh, the most uh, yeah, predominating, the most in the, the ultimate form of the absolute truth, impersonal, formless. So they conceive of God as being a God is the form of the formless. They conceive of him as that. However, Prabhupada explains that God is not subordinate to the Absolute Truth, but He is the Absolute Truth. There's no difference between the, the or, or rather the ultimate principle of everything, which we call the Absolute Truth or Paramsatya, is God, the person, who is also impersonal because He's complete, as is described in this Bhagavatam. Vadanti tattvividas tattvam yaj jnanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shabhyate That the, those who are tattvavit, those who know the param tattva or param satya, they know that that is manifest in three features, namely Brahman, the impersonal, formless, absolute truth. Paramatma, the form of the Lord manifest in every atom and every living being and Bhagavan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, which are Advaya, they are non-different. But at the same time, the relationship of the Jivas to the Absolute Truth is one of Mamayvangsho Jiva Loki Jiva Bhuta Sanatana that the Jiva is eternally the part and parcel of the God he is eternally an anksha or part and parcel. Of course, this is a great topic of discussion, which has been discussed in great detail over many centuries or from time immemorial. Is the absolute truth ultimately personal or impersonal? But as far as the version of Srimad Bhagavatam is concerned, which is the ultimate contribution of Vyasati, the Absolute Truth is described in the Bhagavatam as Govinda, Vasudeva. So the God is formless, yes, but that doesn't mean that he's without form. It sounds like a contradiction, but in God, everything, in the Absolute Truth, everything is there without contradiction. He is formless, means he has no material form. And by his Brahma Jyoti, he is his uh, formless presence is present everywhere. But he's also the personal absolute truth from which the, the from which that Brahma Jyoti manifests. Yasya Prabhupada Jagadanna Koti Kotishvasheshava Sudhadi Vibhuti Vinnam Tadbrahma Nishkalamanantama Shesha Bhutam Govindavadi Purushamtama Hamajani that that Prabha, that light which emanates from the body, that ultimately emanates from the body of Govinda. The jivas, they are just from an hour, just finish. The jivas, they are eternally part and parcel of Krishna. So they have a relationship with Krishna of love. So if we stress more on the formlessness of the absolute truth, which is not incorrect. But it's also not a complete understanding. So if we emphasize on that, then 
it obviates the possibility of loving exchanges with Krishna. To love Krishna, then we have to recognize him as a person. We are more interested, as Vaishnavas, we are more interested in love of God than merging into the existence of God. We are interested in the Bhakti Ras. Then? So there's the sun god. He's also known as Surya Narayana. He is a representative of the supreme personality of Godhead, who is Krishna. But from the impersonal point of view, the murti in the temple is considered a representation or a personification of God who is ultimately impersonal. But the Vaishnava or the developed understanding is that the Murti is God, not simply a representation, but he is God himself. You're very interested in understanding God. Have you read Srila Prabhupada's books? Any of these books? Which ones? You've read Bhagavad Gita as it is. I see. So please go on reading. The Bhagavad Gita is very deep. Arjuna, he understood. Just Krishna spoke, Arjuna understood. But for ourselves, we may have to read many times, very, very deep. Every word in Gita is so deep. Yeah, I was saying yesterday, the, 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 the questions and answers, that people are asking questions. I said, I have more questions than any of you. Because the more you study this subject, you, the more you see it's vast. The topic of God is unlimited. So we cannot think that I understood God. You may say I understood how to change a fuse. That some small simple thing you may know how to do. But you cannot say I understand God. Jananta eva jananti king bahutmana mutabo manaso vachuso vacho vaibhavantavagojraha Brahma who is the first created being in the universe, the first Brahman, the most intelligent, the topmost demigod, he says, he said, after seeing some of the opulences of Krishna, he said that others may think that I have understood Krishna, but as far as I'm concerned, it is not possible to understand Krishna, neither by mental effort, by discussion or by any method it's not possible to fully understand Krishna. So we'll go on discussing Krishna and our understanding will deepen. But understanding that ultimately fructifies as love for Krishna. That is the point. That Jnana that is a process and Jnana 
Krishna, Krishna Tattva knowledge of Krishna, Bhagavad Tattva. But the, the ultimate result of that is to love Krishna, which is why we're discussing here Tenth Canto of Bhagavatam. We're discussing how the Rajvasis, they simply love Krishna. Even Krishna himself, directly, or sometimes through Uddhava, instructs the gopis in Jnana Yoga. But they're not very interested. We're simply housewives. What will we understand about this, they say? We want you. Never mind all this philosophy. You're simultaneously present and not present, and we're not interested in this. Go and speak that to someone else. We want you. The devotee praises us. We have different alternatives. One is to deny that what is being said is true. Another is to take revenge on that devotee by praising him. Another is to say that, well, if I have any good qualities, it's only because of my Guru Maharaj. Otherwise, I'm completely a dog and a rascal and a fool. There are different responses which can help us to maintain our equilibrium and not become intoxicated by pride. That's why it's better not to be a guru, because the guru is supposed to, he's supposed to train his disciples to praise him. That's why Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said that if one becomes a guru, he ceases to be a Vaishnava. But on the other hand, he has to follow the order of his guru, and the order of his guru is to become a guru. Thakur says that... Uh, Anito Vaishnava Buddhi Hoyle Omani Nahobawami Patishta Asha Archi Ridoi Dushi Bay Hoibo Niroyagami. He said, if, he's, if I think I'm a Vaishnava, Anito Vaishnava Buddhi Hoyle, then I will not be free from the desire for praise. Then the desire for honor will enter my heart and pollute it and I will become a candidate for going to hell. So he therefore says, Tai Shishya Tava Takya Sarvada Naloibo Pujaka. Therefore he said, I will simply remain, my dear Guru Deva, as your disciple. And that's all. I will not accept worship from anyone. And in the direct presence of the uh, even in the presence of Krishna, devotees like the Pandavas and Vajvasis underwent lots of difficulties and anxieties. How to understand that even in the presence of the Lord, one is suffering. In other words, what is facing difficulty in the presence of Krishna and the absence of Krishna? Yeah, devotees, even in the presence of Krishna, they may face many difficulties. But they'd much rather face those difficulties and be in the presence of Krishna than have an easy, comfortable life and no presence of Krishna. Vipada Santu Tashashva 
छत्र छत्र जगत करो भवत दर्शन अपना भव दर्शन भीमसेन Then they wanted to burn us all. Then we had to flee in the forest, and this hidden rakshas wanted to eat us all. Then we had the humiliation and the suffering of the asat sabha, where Draupadi was humiliated, all the Pandavas were humiliated, and as a result of that, we had to, even though we were emperors of the world, we had to live in the forest. We went through so many difficulties. And then there was the whole battlefield of the whole fighting, and then even we thought everything's okay. Now it's all over, and then Ashwatthama sent his Brahmastra to kill the last remaining descendant, the Pandava of the Pandavas, namely Purikshit Maharaj. But Krishna, you protected us in every circumstance. But now you're going. Now everything's very peaceful, and you're leaving us. So I think it better let there be more trouble. We can remember you. So the troubles, as I was saying in the lecture, the Arishta Sur and so many demons are coming to Vrindavan. So the, that increases the love of the devotees for Krishna. They take shelter of Krishna. The Krishnas are protected. So such difficulties they are to be relished. That Krishna is giving so many difficulties. Oh, how kind of Krishna!